And somebody must have changed my clock for me. No? Yes? No? No? You know, that clock's wrong, too. Did you know? <laughs> All right, let's pray and go home. <laughs> I didn't know that. All right, uh, turn with me to number 21, if you would. Number 21. Forgive me. Amen. Amen. It's in my soul. Amen. Let's turn to number 55. Number 55. Did some of y'all have springtime in your heart today? I just want to know. There you go. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand if you can. Number 55.
Yes. Amen. Pleased to be seated. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I got a real important question to ask you all. Can cranberries? Anybody? Can. All right. For all for can. All right. All right. For fresh. Two of us. Two of us. I'll eat cranberries anyway. They'll make them. I love cranberries, and, and, and my wife even has one recipe where they're, they're not cooked. They're like raw and ground up. Or That was Tara. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 whew, I liked it, man. I liked it. But I can't vote. I have never had um, actual cranberries. You've never? Never? Maybe not. Invite me over. I'll help him. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a reason why every juice there is has a cranberry derivative. Grape cranberry, whatever cranberry, you know, it's because it's the only time of year. It's Christmas and Thanksgiving. How many of y'all eat it the rest of the year? Okay, we got a couple of us here. Amen. I could eat it every meal. I love it. Anyhow, that was very important for me to know. So if y'all would turn to uh, the book of Ezra, please, tonight, book of Ezra. Been too fast, you miss it. Ezra chapter 1, and uh, I just was doing some devotions and came across this text, and I thought it might be a good thing to, to look at tonight. And uh, I kind of want to talk about last day's blessings. Last day's blessings. You know, we, we did have a praise service Sunday night. I thought it was a tremendous blessing. I, I enjoyed it. And uh, just uh, pray that it was an encouragement for everyone. And uh, we're going to spend Hopefully this week with family and friends, loved ones, and, and, uh, and so a time of thanksgiving. And uh, see if you can see what I saw when I took a look at this today. Look at uh, verse 1. The Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might be, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath uh, given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord uh, God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place, help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with uh, beasts uh, uh, beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Uh, we do thank you for a, a beautiful day, you know, in, in the sense of every day we give thanks for. Lord, we just thank you for the health that we enjoy to be here uh, tonight. We just pray that you'd bless this week ahead, Father, with health, with safety, with good fellowship, encouragement. Maybe even opportunities to witness to those that uh, were burdened for, who were lost. And uh, Father, we do, again, pray for our nation. Pray for those who give us freedom and uh, maintain it for us. And Father, we just thank you for their service to us. Just bless our time together tonight. And we'll ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I did say last day's blessings, but the, the thing that's interesting is, is the Word of God here 
uh, shows you, of course, something that happened after the 70 years of captivity. They're at the very end of it. It's time for them to go back. And uh, they're getting ready to go back into the promised land. And I, I want you to know they have been looking at or anticipating that uh, for at least 70 years. Some of them were very excited to go back. Uh, I will tell you this, some of them weren't, which is kind of sad. Not everybody went back. Matter of fact, only a small handful went back the first time, then a, a little bit bigger group, and then a little bit bigger group. Uh, they went back in three waves. They came out in three waves and went back in in three waves. By the way, Israel, even modern Israel, went in in three waves. And uh, so if you know your history about Israel, they, they've kind of come in that way. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that our God knows the end from the beginning. Uh, any of y'all ever think about heaven? How long do you think you're going to have to wait in heaven until you meet everybody? There is no time. I was just thinking about that today, and I don't know if you think about these things. I do think about these things. I think there's time here, but I believe God is outside of time, and I really, honestly, in my heart, I believe that when we get to heaven, it's just, you're just going to be there, amen, and, and everybody, and, and just in some way. Why? Because time is meaningless, and I don't know how all that's going to work out, but uh, I was thinking about that even today. I don't know why I added that, but, uh, you know, it's just good to think about some of the blessings about how true God is. Because notice verse 1, that's the very first blessing, is God has been fulfilling his word from the beginning. Notice what the Bible says in verse 1 there. The Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, say it with me, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, say it with me, might be fulfilled. And, and so the Bible says uh, that he said all this and gave this to Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of God might be fulfilled. I was, I was thinking about some of the blessings that we have even today, and one of which is this, is he has always been keeping his word. Do you realize that the Bible begins with God keeping his word? What was the very first thing God said to man, in a sense, uh, that we know of? Well, you know, we, we do know that he gives stewardship of the earth over to Adam, and he gave him a job of naming all the animals. We know that. But we also know that at some point... One of his commands, if you will, was don't eat from that tree, right? You remember what the consequence was, the day that you eat of it, thou shalt surely die. And if you will, from the very beginning, God gave a command and he says, I'm going to keep my word. Meaning what? If you eat of it, though I love you and though I created you and though I want you with me forever, you will die. Uh, meaning, and we learned uh, later that that means you're going to be separated from me and not able to be in my presence, okay? Because I am life. It's God life. And, uh, and so he said this. He said, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, okay? You know when the Bible says verily, verily, I, I, I've told you before that that's the Hebrew way of saying with an exclamation point, this is true, this is true, meaning you can believe this, Okay. Well, when he says, thou shalt surely die, it literally in the Hebrew, I believe, says this, dying, you shall die, okay? Meaning it's thou shalt surely die. It's, it's just as assured as can be, I've told you, you eat from that tree, you die, okay? And if you will, from the very beginning, that's exactly what he did. Now, notice, if you will, uh, go there, keep your place here in Ezra, because it's sometimes hard to find. But uh, in Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay. 
And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of, of the trees of the garden, but of the, true, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it. By the way, that's where she should have stopped, because that's where God stopped. Okay? Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, we know that that was added. We don't know if that was added by Adam. We don't know if that was added by Eve, but we do know this. It was added. God doesn't have to keep the word that we add. You all understand that? But he will keep the word that he says. The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so she understood that. And, of course, Satan, if you will, he, he immediately says this. He says uh, in verse uh, 4, he says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. You know, you know what he said? God's not going to keep that. He loves you too much. He, think about all he did. And, and by the way, he could have probably made the case to, to Eve, listen, he, he did all this for you. He created the garden for you. He created the heavens for you. Listen, you don't know this yet, but these stars are huge and powerful and big and far away. And even the most insignificant dot in the sky, he did that just for you. Now, now do you think that he would really kill you or let you die? If, having done all that, amen? By the way, does God love us? Is God a God of love? Yes, he does. But he says this, I can't have sin in my presence. And so if you will, God understood this. Now, man didn't understand that yet. We've come to understand that. But we know this, that, that God does love us, and he does want to spend eternity with us. But when he says, if you eat it, dying you shall die, okay? You shall surely die, okay? And, and so he did keep his word. Uh, how do we know that? We'll go to the end of the chapter. Go to verse 22. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22. And the Bible says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man is, becoming as, is become as one of us to know good and evil. Okay? Now, you've heard me preach this. They already knew good. Now they knew evil. Okay? And God said this. This is something I'd... I'd like to know, but I don't want them to ever know. How many of y'all, if you could protect your kids, would take all the bad stuff so that they would never know the bad stuff? Okay, and God, the, God the Father was like that. He says, I, I would rather know all the evil that is in the heart of man, all the evil that is possible because of the fall of the devil. I would rather be the only one that can conceive, and by the way, if God conceives it, it's true. Imagine, the thoughts and the imagination of our heart are not true. They're only evil continually, but quite often what we imagine is not true, doesn't come to pass. Well, folks, everything God knows comes to pass. Why? Because he knows. He, he doesn't have to imagine. He knows. And so he says this. He says, well, they know evil now. Well, the problem with evil is, is this, and let me just say this, especially young folks. If you ever give yourself over to the temptation of evil, the Bible says that pleasure has sin for a season. There's pleasure in sin for a season, meaning that you'll enjoy it for a short time. But the problem is, after that, the conviction will come, and you'll stop enjoying it. And then the consequences will come, and you'll start stop enjoying it. Amen. And then, unfortunately, the lifestyle or the, the oh, I want to think of a C on the fly here, but I can't think of one. All right? The craving. Oh, there you go. Remember that. You're going to need that later. Sin becomes a craving, guys. Amen. Okay? And my whole point is this, is God said, I never wanted you to know that. But now that you do, you can't be with me. 
Why? Because you're, going, you're not going to be able to stop craving sin. You're not, and by the way, now that you like this, you're going to want to live it more and live it more and live it more and live it more. That's why smoking starts with one cigarette, ends up with three packs a day. You guys understand? Have you ever seen somebody who smokes three packs a day? How do they smoke them, guys? They light the next one off the last one. Okay? And literally, they get to the point where they had one cigarette, and they get to the point where until they go to sleep, they can't stop smoking. Matter of fact, a lot of them die because they can't even stop smoking in bed. Talk to a fire department. Okay? And so, if you will, we see here that he kept his word. He said, you can't stay with me. Verse 22, the Bible says, And the Lord uh, God said, Behold, a man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever in this sinful condition. Okay? I don't want him to live like that. Right? That I'm, I'm going to have to cast him out. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And by the way, I don't believe it says this in the Bible. But you guys ever heard the formula, ashes to ashes and dust to dust? You guys know what that formula means. You came from the ground, you're going back to the ground. And in a sense, that is God proclaiming that, man, you're, the ground from which I've taken you is the ground that you're going to work, and then you're going to go back into it uh, at the end. So the Bible says, verse 24, so he drove the, out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, that means mighty ones, mighty angels, if you will, and a flaming sword was turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, you've heard me teach this. I don't believe that was only to keep them out. It was to make sure that they could come back in. But that's, a, that's another message for another day. God's not willing that any should perish. God didn't want to cast them out, but he had to. Okay? The Bible says, and please forgive me, I think I've forgotten the location, but I do believe it's in the book of Hebrews, where the Bible says, by two immutable truths... Does anybody know what immutable means? Anybody know what immutable? Unchanging. Immutable means you cannot change it, okay? And what he's saying is, and if you'll look up the word immutable, I-M-M-U-T-A-B-L-E, immutable, okay? Um, look up that word, okay? And in the context, a lot of times you can't figure out what he's talking about until you realize he's talking about two things that can't change. God can't change and his word can't change. And he says, by two immutable things, okay? And he's talking about two things that can't change. God cannot change. He is, he is holy. He is, he is who he is, okay? But if you will, he's also saying this, my word can't change. So when I proclaim my word, I'm going to keep my word. Why? Because it cannot change. Now, I don't know about you, but it's nice having an unchanging God. If you know anything about mythology, the problem with the gods is they were constantly changing. You guys ever heard the term mercurial? One of the gods was Mercury. He's running around all the time, okay? But one of his aspects was he was changing all the time, or changing all the time. So somebody's changing all the time, and the laws are changing. And by the way, do we live in a world where things are changing all the time? Sometimes it's confusing to live in the world, amen? And God says, no, 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 I don't ever change. My word never changes, and that is a good thing, okay? And so if you will, God is in the, his word-keeping business, and how many of his words is he going to keep? Well, I kind of already said this, but the Bible says he's going to keep every word. Uh, look what the Bible says in Matthew 4. Go and we'll, we'll go fast, okay? Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Matthew 
The Bible says this, but he answered and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, say it with me, but by every word, see that, that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Meaning this, if you want to if you want to know what to meditate on, if you want to know what to bank on, bank on the word of God. Every word that comes out of my mouth, I'm going to keep it. Okay? Uh, if you're right there, Matthew chapter 5. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 17. You guys have heard this. But Jesus said this. He says, think not that I'm come to destroy the law. By the way, who gave the law? God did. So know what he's saying? I'm not taking it back. <laughs> I gave it, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to hold people accountable to it. Amen? Now, he's saying this, you can't keep it, but I can. Okay, so he did keep the law. Jesus Christ did that. Amen? But anyhow, he says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Every word. What do you mean, God? What do you mean, every word? Well, let me explain it to you. Verse 18, he says, for verily I say unto you, till earth and uh, heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. I ask a question. You guys still, uh, still do penmanship? I know we're all homeschoolers here, and let's see if y'all are doing all the subjects. Well, when we were in school, we did the three R's. Reading starts with an R. Writing starts with a W and arithmetic that starts with an A. So it <laughs> tells you the state of our education back then. Amen. <laughs> but writing was uh, penmanship, okay? And uh, I, I noticed the other day, uh, every once in a while when you preach, uh, some churches will have their young people come to you and ask them to sign your Bible. And, and what you're doing is basically they can say, I heard so-and-so preach, you know, and they, you know, and then the other thing you'll always do is, is you put in a Bible verse or a life verse. And some of you all know mine. I, I always put down Jeremiah 23, 28. And, uh, and so, if you will, um, uh, the writing, I don't know why. Oh, I, the thing I noticed was is um, I have very bad penmanship. Am I the only one? There's a couple people in this room here. I won't, I won't name them, but... Their, their handwriting is better than some typeset I've seen. <laughs> okay, it's just beautiful handwriting. Um, but mine is terrible. Mine is terrible. But uh, if you ever did do your handwriting or your penmanship, what was the smallest letter? What was the smallest letter? What's the smallest letter, guys? Think about it. I. Correct. Okay. And if you've ever read Old English, quite often I's are J's. Okay. All right, and it's the same way in in uh, in, in uh, Greek. Okay, I'm saying that. Yeah, Greek. And uh, and so the smallest letter would be like an I. It would be their J or their jot. Okay, which would be just like for us would be. Okay, but that's not a complete I, is it? It's not a complete J either. Some of y'all, how many of y'all still dot your J's? Oh, very good. Wow. <laughs> Very good. I don't. <laughs> I don't dot my J's. Okay. And so, but uh, I will tell you this, quite often I forget to dot my J's because I'm like, you know, it's a J. You know, anyhow. But my whole point is this. God says this. Listen, I, I'm going to fulfill not just my words. I'm going to fulfill the smallest letter, and I'm going to even put the dot on it. That's okay. The, the jot, that's, I'm doing this on purpose. Okay. J. Okay, and then 
Kittle. Okay? And God is saying, I am telling you I'm going to keep my word. Why? Because I'm taking it all the way down to not just the letter, but the parts of the letter. If God, is God trying to make an emphasis there? He, he's saying, I'm going to keep my word. How much so? Well, how long is he going to keep it? Well, go with us to Revelation chapter 22. You know this. But Revelation 22, look at verse 18. The Bible says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. By the way, this book is the book of Revelation. But he also says similar words in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I believe it is, where he says, don't add to the law. Okay, Deuteronomy's the last book of the law. Or last book of the five that gave us the law. Okay. And this, of course, is the book that closes the scripture. Okay. And so it says, uh, he says, if any man shall add unto these things, God, excuse me, excuse me. No, I'm reading that right. Uh, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. By the way, which one's worse? Look at it and just, which one would be worse to you? Think about it. He says, listen, you add to this book, and by the way, people do. Be very careful when you're interpreting the Bible not to put your interpretation into it. Okay? And he says, listen, if you add to this, all them plagues you read about in Egypt and others, I'm going to add that to your life. And I will promise you that would be miserable. But he says, guys, don't take away from it either. Why? Because if you do, I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. Folks, that's heaven. Y'all understand that? But what's Jesus going to do? He's going to open the books, and he's going to open the book of life. And if your name's not in the book of life, then you're cast into the lake of fire, where the devil and his angels are forever and ever. And if you will, that is far worse. Listen, there's one thing to suffer, but there's another thing to suffer forever. Get the emphasis, okay? If God is going to keep every jot and every tittle, He's saying, don't take away from my word. Why? Because I put every one of them in there on purpose. All right? I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Because God knows the end from the beginning. He could have written today, tomorrow's newspaper a thousand years ago. You understand? And so um, we see here that he's going to keep every word. Now, Jeremiah's word, that's uh, back in our text. Go back to Ezra if you can still got her marked. In verse 1, the Bible says that to, they were keeping the word of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah's word has encouraged many in times of God's moving in the affairs of Israel and of the world. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel starts praying because he said, hey, Jeremiah said 70 years. It's been almost 70 years. And he started praying. Amen. Uh, if you keep reading that, you could, you could keep reading further. But for sake of time, you're familiar. I pray. But uh, he says the same thing in Second Chronicles, meaning this, it's, it's recorded again, okay, some of the promises of God. And, and then, uh, just because I want you to see it, who is going to fulfill all this? Look real quick, who's, who's kind of the key character here in chapter 1? Look in verse 1 there, who's kind of the key character? King Cyrus. King Cyrus, okay. Now, folks, if I was to tell you who was going to be president 
12 months from now? Okay. How many of y'all be pretty impressed if I got it right? Be pretty impressed? I would. And I say, well, it's going to be so-and-so. Well, you don't know that, right? Um, but notice this. God, a hundred years before this man was even born, named him, okay? Uh, he named who? Named King Cyrus. Help me for a second. Is Cyrus out of the nation of Israel? No. Was Persia even a country at that point in time? The answer to that question is no either. But, but folks, before that, they were called the Elamites. Okay? They were called the Elamites. And it was only because the Medes and the Persians came together. I'll give you a history lesson on that sometime. But the Medes and the Persians came together and it talked about, remember the bear who was raised up on one side in, in the book of Daniel? Well, that was the Persians. And that's when they became known as the Persians. And folks, they didn't become known as the Persians until King Cyrus. Y'all understand? This is all news. This is all new history, amen. This is all things that could not have been known because when it was written, it wasn't even there to be known. Y'all understand that? And so if you will, go to Isaiah chapter 44, last verse. Last verse of Isaiah chapter 44. In Isaiah chapter 44, matter of fact, let's back up a little bit. Go to verse 21. And the Bible says this, it says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant, I have formed thee, thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou, hast, thou shalt not, say it with me, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. <laughs> kind of want to stop on that one for a second, guys. Anybody here ever felt like God forgot you? Nobody wants to raise your hand, right? Can I tell you this? If he can't forget his word, he can't forget you either. Amen. That's just a note. That's not even in my notes. He skips down. He talks about it. He says, listen, he says, I know you're in captivity now. I'm paraphrasing for you. You could read from this point on if you want to. He says, I know you're in captivity, but I want you to know I am going to fulfill all the promises I've made to you, one of which is going to be fulfilled by King Cyrus. Okay? But notice he, he shows the places where it's going to be fulfilled. And look in verse uh, uh, 26. Okay, in verse 26, the Bible says that the confirmation of the word of his servant and, the perform, and performeth the counsel of his messengers. Meaning this, God is going to perform everything he said in his word. Amen. By the way, that's how you can know, that's how you can know you're saved. Because I know the promises I've been given. And I know the God who made them. And that's how I can know. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. Amen. And, uh, and so, he says in verse 26, you are going to be built, okay? And then if you skip down in verse 28, he says, who's going to do it? He's, who's going to rebuild Jerusalem? Well, the Bible says in verse 28, it says, He saith of Tyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Amen. Listen, God said uh, it's going to happen. A guy named Cyrus is going to do it. And they're saying, Cyrus, who? <laughs> That's, they couldn't have known, okay? And then he takes and he goes on even further. In, in chapter 46, if you, 45, I got my numbers wrong here. Not, not for you, for me. In chapter 45, look at verses uh, 5 and 6, okay? 
And he says this, he says, Cyrus is not, doesn't even know me, okay? He's not even a saved person, but he is going to do exactly what I tell him to do, okay? In verse 5 of chapter 45, the Bible says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee. He's saying that to Cyrus. He said, I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. You all understand that? He's saying, listen, you, you don't even know who I am, but you're going to do what I tell you to do. Amen. Verse 6, it says, That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the rest that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Why am I going to do it? Just to prove to the whole world. Does that say from the rising of the sun to the west? That's the whole world, folks. And he says, just so that the whole world knows that I'm God. We were talking a little bit earlier as we were walking in. Folks, keep your eyes open on everything going on in Israel. You know why? Because ultimately God's doing all of that so that the whole world will know that there's a God in this world. He's made some promises to Israel, and he is going to keep his promises. You know, what, what is a blessing that we can enjoy here on a Tuesday night? Okay? Well, one of them is this. is God has been fulfilling his word from the beginning, and he is going to fulfill his word in our lives. Praise God for that. And then second, uh, go back to our text now, and look at verse 2. The Bible says, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is at Judah. Folks, I wonder if he even knew where Jerusalem was. <laughs> okay? He just knows this. God somehow uh, commanded him to do this. Now, there's a couple ways he might have known this, Okay? One of which is this, is um, legend, history, if you will, has it. They may know how that Cyrus took, by the way, Cyrus didn't take it, his general did. He came a couple days later, okay. Does anybody know how they took the city of Babylon? Anybody know how they did it? Didn't they dry up the stream that flowed into the city? Yeah, they That's exactly right. And by the way, if you read the prophecy in, in Isaiah uh, chapter 45, it reads like that. It, it talks about how he's going to do it. I encourage you to go back and read that. But uh, literally, um, the walls of Babylon, ancient cities, by the way, were known by their walls. Okay, And uh, ancient Babylon, their walls were so big that two chariots could pass on the top. Okay, Can I tell you that's a pretty thick wall? How long does it take to break through a wall like that? Can I tell you this? It took uh, some very powerful general. Well, I'll tell you this. In the city of Tyre, you've heard me talk about the city of Tyre. Um, it took the Babylonians 13 years to break that wall. Uh, how many of y'all have ever heard of Masada? Masada, it took them nine months to build a, a ramp to where that they could conquer the walls of that. Okay, You know how long it took them to conquer Babylon? They had such great walls that two chariots could drive on the top of it. It took them one night. <laughs> You know why? Because God maybe probably gave them the battle plan. I don't know. But that's exactly what they did. They diverted the Euphrates River and it lowered the water level. And remember uh, Belteshazzar? He's having that drunken feast. Amen. He's mocking the God of Israel. And the whole time the God of Israel is saying, watch this. <laughs> okay. And his whole army. Literally, it took some people in the city of Babylon three to four days to even know they'd been conquered because they got conquered without firing a shot. 
they literally marched the armies in and said, you're under arrest or whatever, and uh, they took the city. It's, 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 listen, if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen, okay? But notice what he said. Oh, uh, and excuse me, I, I told you that uh, Cyrus came, I think it was three or four days later. Well, when he came, you remember how that uh, Joab conquered the city? And he said to David, he said, David, I'm getting ready to conquer the city, and it's not right that I should conquer it in my name. Remember that? And so they went, and, and they said, David, you come, and, and, and you take the city. That way you'll be the conqueror of the city. Amen? And they conquered it so fast that they, they couldn't do it, okay? But anyhow, Cyrus comes, and as Cyrus is coming into the city, of course, at that time, the gates are open. They're having a triumph parade and everything like that. Daniel comes out holding scrolls, Okay? This is what tradition or history tells us. And he comes out holding the Isaiah scrolls that we just read. And he unrolls them. By the way, for us, those are two different chapters. For them, those are just two connected sentences. Y'all understand that? And, uh, and so, if you will, he unscrolls and he says, God prophesied this to happen. You are the fulfillment of prophecy. And can you imagine this pagan king? He's an unbeliever. He worships the sun. I don't know if you know that, but he worships the sun. And, uh, and so he's got to be just going, what in the world? And so Daniel's saying, you're a fulfillment of prophecy, the God of Israel, the true God. And you know what he had to do, even with his pagan background, he had to say, you know what? Because we just read it, didn't we? He is the God. Did we read that in Ezra chapter 1? That was Cyrus's words. He is the God, meaning what? My God couldn't have conquered that city like that. But their God could, okay? Their God could. I don't know if he became a believer, but it certainly does sound like a testimony of, of faith, if you will, to me. So it's possible he became a believer. But he was not a believer um, when God made those prophecies of him. Now notice... Remember what he said in verse 2? Look what it says. He says, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and hath, what's the word there? He's commanded me. You see this? Uh, Cyrus actually built or rebuilt a lot of nations and civilizations that have been conquered. He let all the captives go home and he rebuilt their temples, okay? But then maybe that's where it started was here, okay? But uh, historically that's what he did. But he said this, he said, God commanded me to rebuild this temple. Anybody find that strange just a little bit? A Gentile was supposed to rebuild the temple. You remember what God told David when David said, I want to build you a temple? He said, no, didn't he? Yeah. He said, you cannot build me. He said, I never asked you to build me a temple. By the way, that just tells you God wants what he wants. Okay, all right. It's a good idea, but just do what I tell you. <laughs> Amen. Okay, it's a good idea. I appreciate your thoughts, but you do what I say. Okay, why? And we'll explore this here just real quick. Well, the Bible tells us why, and I'm out of time, but if you want to take a look at that, that's in First Chronicles chapter 28. But the reason was, and God said this, he says, because you're a man of war. And he said, a man of war is not going to build my temple. Talk to me for a second. What is the purpose of the temple? I'll just say this. It's a place for man to be in the presence of God. Okay? And it was like that in the Garden of Eden. Okay? But the day that thou shalt eat of it, thou shalt surely die. And man has been separated from God ever since. 
Now, praise the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but we're not present with the Lord now, okay? But there's coming a day where everybody who is still alive is going to be in the presence of the Lord, amen? That's, that's what God wants. Well, think about this. The reason he wasn't able to build is because he was a man of war. And think about this. The battle against sin had to be won before God could dwell in the presence of his people. What separates us between us and our God? The Bible says our sin has separated between us and our God. That's what the Bible says. Amen? And so because we're still sinners, that's why God can't be in our presence today. Any of y'all looking forward to a day when you have a body that doesn't sin? And our souls have been forgiven, but our bodies still crave sin. Amen? And so if you will, think about this. Uh, some things had to be done, and it's all, if you will, David was a picture of Jesus at his first coming, and I'm going to extend that a little bit. You'll see why here in a second. And then, who did build the temple? Solomon. What's Solomon's name mean? Anybody know? What's Solomon mean? Peace. Okay? And so, he said, he said David, you're a man of war. You can't build the temple. Why? Because, folks, even after Jesus died on the cross, we didn't all go to heaven. And God didn't come to the earth to reign. You all understand that? And so, if you will, a man of war had to come first, but then a man of peace was going to make it so that we could come into the presence of God. Okay? So, what did the man of war have to do? Well, Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, what does it mean to, when he says, it is finished? And it's, it was kind of confusing to me because um, the person who was talking to me, it was a controversy to them, okay? There was nobody in church here. But they, I don't think it means what you think it means. And I said, well, I appreciate that, but here's what it means. I have done what it takes to make a way for man to come into the presence of God. It is finished. It stands now in a finished condition forever. We can't add to salvation, and Jesus is the only one who provided salvation. Amen. He defeated our enemy, but we didn't get to move in. Okay, we didn't get to move in. He defeated the enemy, but listen, there is coming a day where he, uh, he's going to remove the enemy, okay? But uh, he's not going to remove the enemy until he comes to reign in peace. Uh, I'm running out of time, but in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6, and then in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 25, the Bible says the lion shall lay down with the lamb. Okay? And it's a, it's a picture of wonderful peace during the reign of Jesus Christ. Isn't that going to be awesome? But is that when all the people who have ever been saved are going to be in, on the earth without sin and in the perfect fellowship with God? And to answer that question is no. No. Even the millennium, folks, real, you guys remember how the millennium ends? We know how the millennium ends. Correct, and he has to destroy everybody. The fire comes down from heaven. He kills the armies that that have mounted against the city, if you will, and so he ultimately has to remove them from the earth, from his presence. And, folks, take this the right way, but Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, but how many of y'all realize Satan's still busy? Y'all understand that? So he hasn't been removed, okay? God's still fighting. 
How many of you all glad we still have an advocate? <laughs> okay. And so if you will, but there is coming a day. Oh, man, what a day. What a glorious day. Amen. Because, see, he's finally going to not just defeat the enemy and remove the enemy, but he's going to punish the enemy. And the Bible tells us that after that battle, when the fire comes down, he kills Satan, if you will. Or, yeah. Uh, then he casts him into the lake of fire. And if you will, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. No, excuse me. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. The Bible says that he's going to be tormented. You guys know how long? The Bible says day and night, forever and ever. Is God trying to say something by day and night, forever and ever? It's kind of like verily, verily. <laughs> okay. All day, every day. He's going to be tormented. And one of the torments is kings of the earth are going to walk by and say, you're the one that made the nations to tremble. Okay. He finally removes him. And then, of course, you have the great fright throne judgment. No, everybody whose name is not written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire where the Bible says where, where Satan is being tormented day and night forever and ever. If you will, the final battle is won. And I don't know about you, I, I'm ready for the final battle to be over. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But think about this. Then a man of peace gets to come and build the temple that we're all looking for. And what is the temple we're looking for? When we're without sin and we're in the presence of God forever. Amen. And the Bible says, when's that going to happen? Well, go to Revelation 21 just real quick. Revelation 21, verse 1. The Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Just get the metaphor. We're the bride, and Christ is the bridegroom. And folks, the wedding day is all about finally being able to come together. You guys understand that? And so that's the beautiful picture that's taking place right there. And it's just interesting to me, if you will, it's interesting to me that David was forbidden to build the temple, and yet a Gentile was commanded to rebuild it. Isn't that interesting? I was thinking about that. Matter of fact, just, uh, well, the Bible says that uh, we already read it in Isaiah 45, verse 4. Uh, Cyrus is going to do it. Amen. And the Bible says in that verse 4, the second half, that he wasn't even a believer. Okay, he wasn't even a believer. Okay, at least when the command was given to him. Here's, here's what I was thinking. Think about all the ways God speaks to us outside his word. We've talked about hailstones. Does God command the hailstones? Does God command the meteors? Yeah. Okay. By the way, why hasn't a meteor wiped us out? God's still in control. But you might want to read your Bible. <laughs> There's a big one coming called Wormwood. <laughs> it's going to be a big one, okay, if you will. And uh, if you will, think about this, and I wish people would get a hold of this. 
But you know this, a lot of people think, well, I don't even believe in your God. I appreciate that. But you're still fulfilling his word. Is God fulfilling his word from the very beginning? Is he going to fulfill it until the very end? And folks, he's even using people and things that you would think have no concept of desire or will or, right? And God says, you're going to do what I want done. Could you go to Romans chapter 9, please? Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 13. Romans chapter 9, verse 13. And the Bible says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. By the way, that was true before they were born. That was true before they were born. And so if you will, Jacob could say, thank you. And Esau could say, that's not fair. Well, look at God's answer. Because God's answer says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Okay? That's one of the few verses in Greek I still remember. There you go. May it not be. Okay? God forbid. That's what it means. It says, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Meaning this, folks, God's been in control from the very beginning. And he is fulfilling his will in every action and in every life that's ever been lived. The Bible says in verse 17, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. And by the way, what was Cyrus's purpose? So that people might know that God was the true God in all the earth. Amen. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardeneth. You know why? Because I'm fulfilling my word from the beginning. Thou will say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? By the way, he says, what if, but he has done that, hasn't he? Amen, you all see it? And he says, and that, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles, meaning this. You, you know why he uses Gentiles? Because he wants Gentiles to be saved too. Amen. So why, why did he use Cyrus? Because he wanted them to be saved too. Amen. And he saith, and he saith uh, also in Hosea, that's Hosea, he says, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll finish with this. Any of y'all watching what's going on in the world right now, especially amongst the Muslims in Israel? And listen, God's going to fulfill his promises to Israel. Okay. 
I saw this on the news the other day. People are begging American women to stop converting to Islam because their minds have been polluted by college professors talking about how wonderful Islam is. And uh, I don't know if you all know this, but the first Gulf War, American people intentionally converted to Islam and went to fight in the jihad and everything like that. And then they got over there and went, whoa, <laughs> realized what it was all about. Some of them recanted and tried to come home. Of course, some of them couldn't. And, and they're begging people right now, please don't fall for that nonsense. Why? Because that same one that said, yea, hath God said. See, he's, he's a liar, okay? But God is going to fulfill his word, and he is going to show himself mighty, and he is going to prove to some people that we would never imagine who are going to see the God of the Bible and the God of Israel, and they're going to say, wait a minute, he's keeping his word. Amen? Do you see what he's saying? God says this, I'm going to do whatever I need to with whoever I need to so that I might open the eyes of some and so that they might be saved. Amen? How many people are going to be saved? Few. Amen? And God says, I'm going to do everything it takes to see people saved. What's my thankful thing on that? Folks, we're watching God fulfill his word and keep his word just like he has from the beginning. And would to God that we would take and be thankful for it even though there's some hard times going on in our world today. Amen? Would to God that we would learn the lesson of Ezra chapter 1. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We just pray, Lord, that you bless this week ahead.